Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou and um, have a fascinating guest who uh, agreed to come on the show uh, quite a while ago. And um, somehow we lost track of of your application for being here, Mark. So thank you for so much so much for being here. Um, do you say Devotes? Is that how do you say your last name? So I pronounce it Dovush. The S is like an S H, but it's not one of those easy names to pronounce. So uh, you've gotten used to a number of variations on it. <laughs> Mark is fine. <laughs> hey, I'll just call you Mark. How's that? Yeah, so perfect. Mark is call, is uh, coming in from. And so, Mark, we our custom is for folks to say a little bit about themselves, and then why do you do this kind of work? You're an executive director, and uh, tell us what that is and a little bit about your background, please. Absolutely. So, Hugh, thank you very much for the opportunity to join you and your listeners uh, for this uh, important, I think, segment of uh, what's available to nonprofit leaders out there. I think you're doing some great work. Um, I've gotten into nonprofit work over 37 years ago. Uh, and haven't really turned back since that point in time. Started out as a teacher and uh, went on and picked up my first development job when the headmaster of the school, uh, they had gotten rid of the development person and said, would you like to be the development director? I said, sure, what's that? (laughs) And so, you know, from that point, really never turned back. Uh, Got to, you know, cut my teeth on uh, raising money to uh, help keep an organization afloat, as well as then move into capital campaigns and public relations and advocacy work and have been in healthcare and education and community uh, social service programs, uh, leading entrepreneurship, building a foundation that, you know, supports entrepreneurship, and then, you know, off to a bar association. And here I am at uh, the Western Sports Foundation, which provides health and wellness programs. Uh, for athletes who are participating in Western sports in five different countries, including here in the United States. So um, your, one of your questions that you had for me was, you know, why do you do this? Why do you, you know, why do you stay with this? Um, I really, I think in terms of both my own passion is wanting to both give back, but, you know, have an impact on the communities and society with what I do. And I think part of that comes from being a teacher first and foremost and educating. And I see, um, nonprofit work is an opportunity to educate people on, on what they can do in their communities to be part of making changes. So that's why I'm here. I love it. I love it. Now, the title you gave us for today is working on your business and not just in your business. And um, now I, I want to be really clear. We, we teach nonprofit leaders and clergy that we are, in fact, running a business. It's a tax exempt business. And I was just as excited about your um, your line about what it's about, uh, which is sort of like a subhead. Business and strategic planning are as it's a part of a necessary routine for your business and for your organization. So, talk about what do you mean working on your business and why is strategy important, please? Sure, I think, and it's great that you know we continue to um, educate our leaders in the nonprofit sector about the fact that, that we are running businesses um, and that 
it's important it, when you think about it as a business um, that, that you utilize all those great tools that are out there in the for-profit sector, in the not-for-profit sector. I, I think what got me passionate about doing this for nonprofits was as uh, I spent nine years uh, running the SCORE Foundation and getting to interact with about a half million small business owners every year uh, that they serve. Uh, I was able to see both on the for-profit and not-for-profit side how people were you know, really focusing in on how to make themselves better, how to make their businesses better, how to make their businesses grow. And I think nonprofits do that on a daily basis. Uh, but what I also saw were the same pitfalls in the nonprofit world that, that for-profits sometimes face, which is getting so immersed into the business that you forget about the bigger pictures within there and to being able to step back and realize that as the leader, you've got not only a responsibility for the business in terms of making sure that, you know, payrolls met every week and, you know, that you're getting more clients or, you know, providing more services and education, uh, but that you also are taking a look at that strategic vision and how does that go forward? And, you know, different for a nonprofit is, you know, how do you help your board get that strategic vision and, and keep that strategic vision and look at that high point level. So um, I've spent, you know, probably the better part of the last 10 plus years uh, when I've had an opportunity to talk about this topic of, of working on your business versus in your business of trying just to get people to focus and stop for a minute and look from that perspective as to what they're doing as a leader. It's important to get, um, perspective on what we're doing. Um, when I was in Florida, I spent 26 years across on the West Coast, um, up from where you used to live, but it's across the state. You're in the East Coast now. Mm -hmm. I lived in St. Pete and, and uh, um, bought a little camera store and took it to be a big camera store over the years. But I had had multiple Kodak dealerships. And at that point in history, um, if you remember film, we used to <laughs> develop film, sell film and back in the dark ages, but that was, that was the, the medium and Kodak owned silver imaging in the world. Basically this is before digital imaging and they did not, um, they, they had this niche and they were insular and just walked down the pathway of we're the king and we're not needing to change. So really this principle applies to any type of organization in any size, size organization. So um, say a little more about what if we don't pay attention and can we do all of this ourselves or do we need external support? Uh, so I, I think you can do it yourself. And I had actually created uh, five different warning signs that, that I try to point out to folks to, to take a look at, to see if in fact they may be spending too much time in their business versus on their business. Um, you know, I, I think as people begin to um, question where they're at, and particularly now, I think what we're seeing is I talk with colleagues who are, you know, experiencing the impacts of COVID on, on their organizations. Everybody is both knee deep in trying to, I think, survive as a nonprofit or as, a, you know, a church or a, a temple. Um, and I think what's important is that while it's, integral that you're staying extremely involved and hands-on through the process. Um, this is not going to last forever and we are going to have to make sure that we've continued to prepare what our vision and our direction is uh, moving out of this. Um, things may be changing for you, but if you're not also doing some strategic planning on that right now, 
um, that's going to, you know, create its own set of problems as you move out of it. So, you know, let me just touch on, you know, a couple of the, the warning signs that, that I give to people uh, relative to this, that, that maybe you're working, you know, a little bit too much in your business and not on your business. So what are those? So let's go with the first one. Um, you're not questioning enough anymore. Uh, you find yourself, basically what you're just doing is, you know, moving in a project to project mode. So everything's about just getting the work done. And, you know, there's no time for anything else going on. So, you know, you are just busy all the time, uh, you know, because you have to handle all the, the minutia that, that seems to be going on in your business. And, and so you're just involved in that. And you really don't spend much time thinking about, you know, what's going to happen a month from now, six months from now, maybe not even a week from now, because you, you think it's just so critical that, you know, you've got to be in charge of everything that, that's going on with that, you know, so that's the, the first one that I point out as a potential warning sign for people. A, a second one is that you're not listening enough anymore. Um, you know, unless you're a, a solo entrepreneur, you know, whether it's for profit or, you know, sort of running your own organization by yourself, you probably have one or two other people who are interacting with you. And if you're in a not-for-profit, you also have a board. Um, so you definitely have other people. Uh, but as the leader, you find that you stopped relying on those people, you know, who are either working for you for their insights, you know, the line people who maybe are experiencing things that, that you're not necessarily seeing. But because of the fact that, that you're the leader, you think that you've got the sole responsibility and the weight of the world to make sure that the organization succeeds. So you stop relying on other people uh, in terms of listening to them and um, not necessarily seeing where problems are surfacing that they could bring to your attention or maybe have tried to bring to your attention, but uh, you just haven't been listening to them. Um, the third one points a little bit to both of those two, and that's you think you have to control everything, including the outcomes. Um, you know, I, I think uh, we as leaders, uh, particularly in the nonprofit sector, uh, often feel the, the weight of, you know, our impact that we can have on, on society and our communities and the things. And um, so we want to make sure that it's right. Uh, and we want to make sure that those people are served properly. And so uh, I think at times it's easy to fall into that, you know, uh, mystified kind of sense that we can also control the outcomes of what's going to happen if we just do all the certain things correctly, uh, not realizing that there are variables outside of our control. So, you know, I, I have so often now, I think, used the serenity prayer <laughs> to, to remind myself as a nonprofit leader that, you know, there are many things outside of my control. Uh, and so I think when you start to begin to think that you have to control everything in the outcomes, that's probably another warning sign uh, within there. Um, it tends to start, you know, as you spend more time working in the business and avoiding and, you know, not working on the business, you get to the fourth one, which I think is really dangerous, where you either lose the, admit, you lose the ability to admit that you're wrong or you become so attached to your belief that you honestly begin to believe everything that you're thinking is the right way to do it. Um, and that's when I think it begins to get very dangerous for any leader, you know, whether again, you're in a for-profit or a not-for-profit. In this case, we're speaking to the people who are running not-for-profits can be very dangerous um, to the organization and to yourself. I think you can do, end up doing irreparable harm if you go down that path where um, you believe that you're always right and that your way is the only way that can happen with that. 
Um, and then finally, I think once, you know, you start to either echoing that and you move into what I'll call the fifth warning sign, using the phrase more than once in the past couple of weeks, I just don't have the time to do anything else, um, is really more an excuse. It's, it's basically you rationalizing that um, you don't have the time or that, you know, you're so engrossed and cannot see the vision any further that um, you're really in danger of making some bad decisions and, you know, some misfires uh, in your organization. So um, those are the, the five that I try to point out to people to, you know, take an assessment, you know, step back and uh, take an assessment. If you, do you see any one of those five, uh, you know, in your current leadership role, uh, it might be time to, you know, look at yourself and say, well, so where am I at with things right now? Of course, I don't know anybody that has any of those issues. <laughs> um, it, those are, um, I mean, you certainly have hit the nail on the head. Those are the classic issues. Those are the classic issues. And, uh, you know, it, it, and from where I standpoint, Center Vision Leadership Foundation is about supporting effective leadership. And that's the central point of making things happen. We're the influencers doesn't mean we're the doers. We, we lead people and we empower people and we engage people, but we have to be really clear on, on where we're going. So the, the, the piece about the strategy is so critical. And I think people that get in these traps are very insulated from reality. And then there's some that are mm, lacking self-awareness, I guess is, is a way to say it. We don't, we don't have a, a team of people that can punch holes in our theories, give us straight feedback. And, and we're not surrounded only by the yes people who tell us what they think we want to hear. And um, <clears throat> that's, there, there's so many, and, and yes, we're busy. We don't have time to talk about leadership. We don't have time to write goals. We don't have time to write a strategy. We just got to work. And then we run off a cliff and we wonder why. So I think there's lots of, um, what people term as ex reasons, I call excuses. So for instance, um, there's a couple that come to mind that I hear more than once. One is, oh, I don't need a strategic plan. That's gonna limit my creativity. I need to be spontaneous. And then the second one is, oh, I don't have time to write goals. Um, I know where I'm going anyway. So um, what, why do you respond to those, those uh, I call them excuses? I think, you know, relative, I'll start with the second one there in terms of, of goals and, and writing things down. Uh, I had a, a great mentor and boss who, who often said, you know, that which is written down is what is attended to and, and what's measured. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think once you put something in, into writing, um, you have a, a greater tendency to not only pay attention to it, but, you know, you have documented something that you can reflect upon and move towards. Um, my other favorite sort of catchphrase that goes along with that is that, you know, if you don't have enough time to do it right in the beginning, when will you have enough time to do it over? Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's important that, that people, you know, spend some time. Um, and I, I think people are, you know, think that when you talk about strategic plans or you talk about business plans or you talk about goals that these have to be 40 page documents. I mean, I've seen business plans that are two pages long for people. I've seen strategic plans. And in fact, I just got done working with a, an organization of a colleague helping them out. And it ended up being about, I think, four or five pages in total. 
um, focusing on, you know, those things that are important and being able to, you know, synthesize things down and simplify them for yourselves um, really is what's going to be important, you know, so I, I think you can reduce the excuse, you know, or, you know, remove it and turn it from an excuse into an advantage for yourself by saying, okay, I'm going to take the time and commit to writing, you know, three most important things that we need to accomplish at, at a high level over the next six months. You know, do it in bite-sized pieces. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a five-year plan. It doesn't have to be a three-year plan. If the best that you feel you have the, you know, the energy and the leadership to provide right now is, you know, just in this period of time, that's going to be important. But put it down in writing so you have something to go back and reflect to and something to, that you can hold yourself accountable to. Well, it's, um, it's a difference between a, a, a dream and a reality and a commitment. You know, you write it down, you're committed to it. And plus, everybody knows where we're, we're supposed to end up. Now, I subscribe to the um, philosophy in Napoleon Hill's uh, Think and Grow Rich and his, his principles of success. And all the leaders had what, what he called definiteness of purpose. They had specific achievable outcomes. And taking that writing it down provides energy for your team. And actually, your strategy... Uh, your roadmap is a, an engagement tool. People actually know when to show up and what to do because there's a roadmap for them to follow. Um, so there's, there's, these are subjects near and dear to my heart, and you're speaking to them uh, very, very, very capably. And you've, uh, you speak. We like having these these expert interviews because people have been there, done that, and know the reasons why it's important. Now we're in a little period of a, quite a shakeup. And I, I think there's a possibility the worst has not yet hit us. We're, we're in October. People will be listening to this podcast maybe years from now, but we're in 2020 in October and we're multiple months into the, um, the COVID situation where we've been uh, limited in the things that we can do. Um, and we're hoping sometimes we'll go to a place where we can meet again. And so going back to, uh, and people are calling it a new normal, which I reject that idea of anything, but even normal, I think it's a new radical. We have to reset the bar. We have to rethink how we operate because things have changed drastically. And by the way, maybe the things we were doing before weren't that good. And we, it's time we can take a break and rethink them. While we're on Zoom at home, we could be doing some things <laughs> To, to rethink the future. What what thoughts do you have about how leaders can equip themselves to take advantage? And, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to reboot. It's a, it's a tragedy. It's a crisis, but it's also an opportunity to reboot and do something different. What do you think? What, what would your thoughts be for people willing to think creatively? Yeah. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on one thing that you said towards the end there in terms of, you know, an opportunity for sort of stepping and, and rechecking some of the things that, that we're doing right now, because maybe they weren't all that great in the first place. I think, uh, and I've seen it the most in the nonprofit world, probably more than I saw it in the, the for-profit, you know, small businesses that I was working with, um, in that we have a tendency to feel, you know, do the same things because one, uh, they sort of work, uh, so they, they may they pass enough muster in terms of whether it's revenue generation or program delivering. So they, they pass enough muster not to get, you know, severe critiques to it, but are they the best way that we can be doing things? Uh, and we are creatures of habit and we don't like change. 
Uh, and I think in no the nonprofit world, both of those are, are really strong suits for uh, how nonprofits operate. Uh, but this is more than a once in a lifetime opportunity to stop and say, I can really look at something, stop doing it potentially and see what happens if I do something different as a result of it. Um, everybody's had scalebacks both in, in revenue as well as service delivery. And so I think we're being forced to look at um, how we do things and what can we do differently at this point in time. I was just reading an article about, you know, organizations that relative to their fundraising have not yet embraced virtual or online and, you know, are still uh, hesitating to do that. Um, I think the hesitation comes more from the fact that they're just fearful of what is because they don't know it, you know, and I think people don't want to try things that they don't know and don't understand. Um, but there are so many resources out there of ways that you can go about uh, attempting things. We're, you know, I'll give you an example. We've done a, a, a walk in place before that, that's been a live event, and we've never done a virtual walk for the, this organization that I'm with right now. We've just uh, started into that this month, uh, but it's something that I, in 37 years, had never put together a virtual walk before. But, you know, it, there were so many simple different applications that were available and able to do that. So I think people have to have a willingness to sort of let go of some of that fear of what could happen and realize that in their fear, they may be limiting some very great successes for themselves. You know, uh, Lincoln failed 16 times before, you know, he won an election. I, I think that, you know, is proof enough that we, we should be able to look at failure as something that helps us with our growth, not necessarily something that, that's going to, you know, cost us our job in the end. Uh, and I think that's a lot of times in nonprofits, you know, leaders fear that if they make the wrong decision, they're going to be out of them, you know, out of a job at the end of the day. Um, I think what it does by taking those, some of those risks, and now is probably the best time to be able to try, you know, and take some of those risks and try new things. Um, people will have an opportunity to see that they can be, you know, I think much more successful than they're giving themselves credit for. Uh, I, I, it's just a whole lot of wisdom in what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's really time Now you've worked for various organizations, both business and nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <clears throat> so um, I think we have a habit of doing what we've seen other people do. Um, bad and good. We've, we've really had some bad models. Uh, these are the things, these are the things that we should be doing. And like the, the virtual event you talked about, I do virtual events all day. I've done some virtual training events. That's a whole lot easier than a walking event. Um, and choirs are doing virtual um, music. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to use different technology than what we're using here. Uh, but there's, there's a way and many, many church music directors now become the technology director or the synagogue or whatever the, the religious institution is. It's a, it's a chance to be creative about how we engage with people. And I think there's, there's a, a lot of frustration out there, and it might be a chance for us to, um, I'm trying to find the right word, to encourage that frustration to have a positive spin. Maybe we, that's a good way to say this. You know, we want to do something and it's up to us as leaders 
Um, what's the old saying? When times get tough, the tough get going. Yes. Uh, we're not sitting around wringing our hands. Oh my, why don't people come and support us? Um, which I see a lot in the organized church. Nobody comes anymore. Well, have you thought about getting outside your walls and doing something? Now that's not as easy now, but we're actually more, more engaging. So we're not doing social distancing at all. We're doing, we're doing physical distancing and being more social, but it's in an interactive way. So I guess it boils down, Mark, to some of the fundamental principles of engagement. So how do you, how do you define now? I'm a musician. I'm a conductor. We, we have to do right and left brain at the same time. We, we have a very rigid structure. You can, they cannot break any of the rules. So I'm a fan of, of strategies of having a plan. And, and when I put the parts out, the orchestra, the choir, everybody knows what to do when I wave that little stick. So, so the rules of engagement are really important. So thinking through systems. So what's missing in us being able to think in new terms, like you're thinking about a, a live a walking event, other people are doing other kinds of creative things. What holds us back? What do we need to embrace to be able to take some of the situation and, and make the obstacles opportunities? I, I think what I've seen, and at least from, from my experience so far, is that I see that we get in our own way. Um, we do not develop and lean on other people and create teams that allow others to help be part of the solutions to the issues and challenges that we face. Um, again, I don't know whether it's just, uh, you know, a, a core sort of uh, principle or idea that people who fall into leadership positions in nonprofits uh, get caught in that trap, but you know, and there's many people, I won't say this is not across the board in terms of that, you know, everybody, you know, does not do great in terms of developing teamwork, but um, being a leader doesn't necessarily mean that, that you have to, you know, come up with the idea, execute the idea, and be the be all end all of it. I, I think if allowing those other people who are around you, and it will in most cases be the, I've seen the most unlikely person who comes up with the great ideas for you um, that will allow you then to be able to try things. And the other thing I think that you have to allow yourself as a leader to do is be willing to fail at something and to allow your team to be willing to fail at something. Um, it's the only way that you're going to come upon those great nuggets of things that are going to, um, as Jim Collins, who's one of my favorite authors, you know, in his book, Good to Great, that's the only thing that's going to take you from good to great is allowing both that, that team effort um, to work together, to fail at things together, um, to then be able to come out on the other side of that with often maybe a, a newly revamped organization. Maybe what you were, you know, you talked about before, some of the things that you were doing may not necessarily have been, you know, the greatest things that you were doing. Some of the things that you're doing right now may not be things you should be doing anymore. You know, mission creep in terms of expanding to do a whole lot of other things than what your original mission is, is one thing. Sometimes having a brand new mission may be where you're headed to as an organization. So I think, you know, Facing the challenges as a team and moving out of the silo of, you know, I am leader uh, will get you to that, that point where, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think I'll, it may not be the best analogy, but I'll think of the, you know, the 
the story of the fishes and loaves, the, the baskets and the people sharing uh, did not happen just because Jesus walked around with, you know, <laughs> passing out the basket by himself. You know, it was thousands of people who got involved to make that happen. And I think that's the thing that we have to look at as a nonprofit leader is how do we engage our teams better and the people who are part of us better, including those people that we serve, um, you know, and what they need. And do we actually ask them about that? My experience has been we rarely do that. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody in terms of uh, uh, a mediation that they were doing about uh, some, some challenging members that, that they were having, and they were talking about how other members were complaining. And I said, well, has anybody ever really asked the membership what it was that they needed? Well, no, we haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> well, you know, that would be a great starting point to, to having a better sense of what it is you need to be doing. So. My, my, my. Well, at least they were, they were honest about it. Yes, it's true. Cinevision um, community is nonprofitcommunity.org, and we encourage you to check it out from that page. So you've given us some, some challenges to, to look at. So what's the, I said the theme that I see in those five questions or warning signs you said. Here's five warning signs. Um, I saw the theme as, as lack of awareness, and you you piggybacked on that um, in, in talking about people getting their own silos and not being part of it is what you said. They get in a, a silo and they don't seek outside comments or influence. And I think part of it, Mark, is also you talked about having a strategic plan. I can't tell you how many times I have visited with an organization not only nonprofits, not only churches, but business leaders mm -hmm. that either where's your strategic plan? Well, um, <laughs> or they pull it out and dust it off. <laughs> or this is what I like. They call me up, say, we finished the last one. It's time for a new one. And so if it was a good plan, why don't you just, you know, let it migrate over time and improve it and update it so that you always have a long-term plan instead of well, we ran out of that one and we got to wing it till we have time to write a new one. So it occurs to me that if you do have like a three or six month review process where you evaluate it and revise it, some of these things, if you have a really good evaluation process, some of these things could be front and center. It, so strategy itself and the planning process itself, if you have the board engaged in that, could be a tool that would um, help you with these issues. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things, uh, I had a great opportunity when I was uh, running the SCORE Foundation to work with uh, one of our board members there at the time, Mike Mendez, who had uh, retired out of California Edison, and uh, he was very passionate about the, the strategic planning process. And so um, we had together worked on developing a, a book called the Business Planning for Nonprofits, and there's uh, two editions of it out. And if you go to the SCORE website, uh, score.org, you can uh, find that resource there if you just to put in business planning for nonprofits. Um, and what I think I found is that, you know, having at least some semblance of a plan, as you've indicated, um, is really important um, just for that roadmap, uh, not just for yourself, but you, you really are responsible as a leader for helping to bring along other people uh, and your stakeholders and, and everybody else that's involved in the organization in understanding what that vision is and how you plan to get there. So again, it doesn't have to be an extensive, you know, multi, 
uh, chapter document in order for people to understand that. And in fact, I'd advocate that the simpler, the better, because uh, if people can communicate the same thing that, that you're seeing in terms of the vision, and everybody can share that same vision and be able to verbalize that, and vocalize it to each other, um, the quicker you're going to get to realizing that vision. And so I think it's important for every organization, if you haven't done it, to go back and look at how can you do this process? Um, I've had the, the good fortune of participating with uh, another colleague and, and her group in terms of doing a virtual strategic planning process of which I had been involved in many half days and full days and multi days of strategic planning, you know, activities and events. Uh, this is the first time I got to participate in a, in a virtual one. Um, and it came off just as well in terms of being focused on just those things that they needed to get done versus, you know, trying to tackle um, a, a ton of things around that. So I think, again, COVID has given us an opportunity to do a lot of things that maybe we wouldn't thought of doing. Um, the virtual environment's given us a lot of opportunities to do things that we know have to be much more succinct and simplified and not in duration because nobody's going to sit on Zoom for three, four hours, uh, you know, if you can create agendas that you know are 45 to 60 minutes in length and very focused, that's what you should have been doing in the first place. This has now forced us into that reality. Uh, and I, so I think relative to your own strategy, you know, take that half day for yourself as a leader and go and identify what are those three or four things, bring them back to your team, you know, spend that time in that way. So what do you do for yourself? Um, Spring in a question here on you. What do you do for yourself? <laughs> to keep your leadership skills and your planning skills honed in? So I try to at least quarterly take a, a half day for myself to both look at what are my goals as well as my organizational goals and what have I accomplished relative to that. Um, I, I try to stay up on some of the current literature relative to planning and how people are facing some of the challenges in the types of organizations that, that I'm facing right now, as well as those also outside of that, because I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned. So whether it's a marketing challenge I may be having, you know, I can look and I can read a lot of the literature of how other nonprofits may be facing that. But um, what I'm finding is that, you know, people are people. And so how the general community is responding to, to this whole thing that's going on um, has some impact in terms of even how the, the for-profit businesses are looking. So um, I spend a fair amount of time, you know, when it, I'm not, you know, working, to also look at, at some of those other things for myself from a professional standpoint. Good for you. Would you be open to entertaining questions from people who are listening? Absolutely. All right, we have um, Mr. Rash, we have Jeffrey, we have Bob. Uh, Bob, your mic is open, you wanna go? Hey there. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly glad to be here. Um, unfortunately, you can't see who I am. I'm amongst those children. Um, I assume that I'm, I got on late, but I'm obviously sitting in the seat that I sit in eight hours a day. Um, I used to be in front of people. I used to be able to talk and interact and see people's um, faces and below the belt and what kind of shoes they have. Now I can't, of course, but you know what? I'm getting used to it. And I'm not sure that when we go back face to face that I'm going to want to always do that because this is so easy. I've been on Zoom all morning um, and I took a little lunch break and here I am back again and I'm not unhappy and I'm 
appreciate what you have to say though about this topic. I don't have a question necessarily so, but I'm just uh, intrigued of the fact that you're talking about most of us and our lives and the way we're spending it today. And well, I guess we better get used to it. Am I right? I, I would, having talked to, I was uh, talking to one of our board members who's uh, involved in a Fortune 500 company and, um, you know, a lot, they faced similar kind of situation where they said, you know, a lot of things that we thought we had to be in person for, we don't have to be in person for anymore. And, you know, so I think that, you know, there, there will be changes to how we do things. I think to a certain extent, some of that will go back to, you know, the way it used to, but not all of it. So uh, I think if we can figure out which is the, the best way and, you know, for us in nonprofits, and I'll speak from the fundraising standpoint, you know, I think if we can determine what's best for how the donor wants to be approached uh, nowadays, I mean, I think some people will still go back and still want to actually see and talk to you, but I think there's going to be people who are going to have found the comforts of uh, Zoom and phone calls is, you know, just as good as in person. So, yeah. Bob is uh, author of this book, uh, Philanthropy Misunderstood, and has taught me a lot about the, the multiple aspects of philanthropy and the different kinds of philanthropy. So, Bob, thank you for being here. It's always, you, Bob. always good to be here. Mr. Rash uh, down in, uh, Bob's in Dallas, Texas. Um, um, Ed, you're in, you're, you're in um, Bedford and runs uh, Legacy International as Worldwide Impact. What questions um, do you have? He's founded four different organizations. So what questions or comments do you have for, for Mike today? I don't, I, I, first of all, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate it. And I, uh, here, I guess you're not seeing me either, huh? <laughs> we just, I just do the, okay. uh, I just do the audio on the, the questions. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so, um, well, we get, to, we get to see his beautiful face and that's good. Uh, <laughs> Now, I, I, I um, first of all, I'll go sort of backwards. You mentioned good to great, which was what we used to about 15, 20 years ago to do our, one of our transformational strategic planning. And, and um, <clears throat> it, was, it was a good introduction <clears throat> for a staff that had been working for 20 some years, not understanding that a nonprofit was a business. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, really, that was really good. And you made those points today. You and you made those points. Indoctrinated for a lot of reasons, and I won't go into the sociology of it. I'm sure we all grasp it that we're involved in a lot of confirmation bias, and that holds us back. You know, we have, and especially when we're in quote leadership or founder positions like I am, hold you back. And so I find that if you look at our work, you see it's we work from children in our own institutional preschool all the way through high school all the way to uh, entrepreneurs and social leaders and political leaders around the world in over five continents and and one of the things that keep you i think from your confirmation bias is to listen to people and i think this is really an important message when we're doing leadership training which which is something that we do and on nonprofit training and leadership training. So I really appreciate those points. Uh, reminds me of a quotation of Rumi, you know, the Jalaluddin Rumi, who said that change comes out from necessity, therefore all man create necessity. Well, necessity has been created for us and it's in our face. And we don't have to be out creating it. It's, uh, we're seeing it and we're seeing people dying out of this necessity to take a new, new, new perspective. So I think that those of us who are involved in 
leadership on a social innovative way or with entrepreneurs like many of us are organizational leadership we have to also realize that we are simultaneously involved in community leadership and 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 to me our organization and i'm sure that this is something that resonates with you and i know it does with you baloo which is that uh, that organization needs to really be clear on its values we're a values-based organization and what I call universal values. What do we share with other people? And out of that, if we're sharing those values, then I think that the leadership comes about because the leader is somebody who can not only manifest those values, but articulate them. So I really appreciate what you've said today. I uh, hope I haven't spoken too much. You're great. Uh, my, You're, yeah. You're great. Sheik uh, Rashid, you always had lots of really good. Uh, so I'm gonna go back to Mark. He's a, uh, so uh, Mark, uh, those are some well, uh, well experienced and really good people there. So um, back to the, the any, any comments on those before I go back to the question? No, thank you very much. I concur 100% and I'm grateful. It's uh, always good when you're, you know, bringing information to folks uh, to have that validated by people who have got long times experience as well as uh, varied experiences out in the field. So thank you for those comments. So we've um, covered a lot of lot of areas. So so back to the the five warning signs. Um, short of writing them down and posting them on your mirror, um, how do you how do how do people keep themselves alert to the the, the potential that we need to upgrade some of our systems? Because uh, th there's there's the let's stick to it. We're committed to it. It's going to work, but. How many times do we do that when we realize it's the, you know we're we're climbing the ladder and the ladder's on the wrong wall, so to speak? So how do we how do we how do we get around the wisdom piece of this is so often lacking? How do we figure out um, if these these five things apply to us? So I think it's important for leaders to commit to themselves to I think at a bare minimum um, commit to two half days a year for themselves uh, that, you know, they put on their calendars, it's immovable, you know, sacrosanct time that they're going to go out and away from their office uh, to focus on, on these things in terms of their plans and where they're moving and to give themselves a, you know, a tune-up and a checkup. Uh, we all take our cars in for oil changes. We all take our cars in to get, you know, tires rotated, things like that. Somehow we can't seem to make the time to, you know, check on our own, you know, business that we spend the majority of our time in our lifetime working. Um, and so, you know, what I suggest to people is that they, they make that commitment to at least twice a year to do it, you know, preferably if you could do it quarterly, that would even be better um, to step back and have that review with yourself and then take back what you found, you know, to your team to talk about, you know, what you've discovered in that process. Um, I think it's a, a healthy commitment to you, not only professionally, but personally, because I think as we examine the things that we're doing, the things we go through, um, we also learn a lot about ourselves and how we've changed over the years. Uh, to think that, you know, I'm the same, you know, nonprofit leader that I was, you know, 30, 37 years ago when I first started into this, uh, it would be, I'd be kidding myself that I haven't, you know, if I have not learned anything over 37 years, I probably, you know, shouldn't be talking to people about leadership and how to, how to best achieve some change in your life. 
Um, I, hopefully, uh, I feel like I, I've grown considerably thanks to the many mentors and the opportunities and what I've learned. I mean, the things that I'm sharing with you today are not you know, new revelations that somehow I came up with in the middle of the night. These are great things that I've learned from a lot of other great mentors along the way. And I think um, one of the things that I've learned is that you've got to take the time and make the commitment to yourself to do this. Um, if you don't, uh, you're making the mistake. Nobody else is making the mistake. Only you can control this. Uh, this is one of those outcomes you can control. Uh, and so I'm, you know, pretty vociferous about the, <laughs> that notion that only you can do this as a leader. Absolutely. And you can, can control what's between your ears. Um, so uh, those are wise words indeed. Um, so there comes a point when we need to, maybe the word is retool. Um, we, how do we retool and how do we think about you know, sometimes, and right now, it's a good time for retooling because we have unknown future and the, the worst may not have hit us yet as far as the economy goes. Um, so how do, we, how do we think about retooling and not thinking it's defeat or a negative thing for us as leaders? You know, I think one of the things that uh, I've seen and that I myself has pra have practiced is, is looking at, again, and it goes back to, you know, something that you had pointed out before, looking at, you know, reassessing all the things that you are doing right now, you know, and putting um, some, some valuation and evaluation on those things to how are they performing for you? Are they just, you know, are they at fives or are they at nines and tens uh, in terms of the, the success and the outcome? And what are the measurements that you're giving to that? You know, sometimes it's one thing to say, uh, we've served a thousand people, but have we made any impact on those thousands of people? I mean, how many things are outputs in your, the work that you're doing versus outcomes? You know, what is the difference that you're actually making? Uh, with things. And I think that's how you begin, in my mind, to go about retooling, because then you're looking at um, what it is you're trying to impact and change versus just straight numbers of people that are being served. Um, it's always great to say, you know, we serve thousands of people, but have we really made a difference? And when you start getting yourself to thinking about what difference are we making, then I think you're retooling. Um, otherwise, all you're doing is just moving the deck chairs around to see how many more people you can serve. The deck chairs on the Titanic. Some <laughs> in some cases, yes. In some cases. So, um, what's the other thing I was going to get? Oh, yeah. Um, let's go back to your title. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and people use this um, perspective a lot. Very few do much about it. And so what are some of the problems we could rise? Uh, I mean, th these five things arise from not spending time working on your business. And you spoke about having some dedicated time to, to think. I find um, that I need external advisors because I cannot, and we call them blind spots for a reason. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why people, uh, and Center Vision has lots of resources. I've personally written, I have 10 books, 10 online courses, and a whole bunch of these interviews and a whole bunch of uh, webinars on trainings on different, different aspects. So Cinevision has um, a lot of content, but people don't always look at the content. And, and I find that I can't do 
strategy for my own organization. I need to have strategists who are outside of my organization do it for me, even though that's my principal thing. And I guess our principal thing is, is as a conductor integrating the, the strategy into performance. So as we're, we're, we're not spending enough time, we get sucked into the vortex. Um, one of the right uh, developers of a leadership methodology, Murray Bowen, talks about leaders, leaders over-functioning. And that's what I find is probably the prevailing issue with leaders that claim to be burned out or their birds don't, boards don't do much. It kind of points right back to them. So what are some other dangers of not really spending time of working on your business and help, help us as we're leaving this interview differentiate from what that means on and in if one more time, please. Sure. So, um, you know, I think in terms of on or in, uh, what the, the in for me is when you are in the detailed day-to-day operations all the time. Um, and you're really not thinking strategically, you're thinking more operationally. Um, and you find yourself, you know, worrying about, uh, every single detail that's going on in terms of the organization. Uh, even if you're letting other people do it, you're still focusing on, you know, uh, how much are they, you know, paying for X for this particular event or, you know, have they gotten all these details in that particular uh, program service outlined and done and completed um, in a more minutia way um, versus, strategically thinking about, you know, what, what is our market and are we best serving that market? Um, so the, that's the differentiation there. In terms of some of the other warning things, and I, I think you bring up a good point in terms of, you know, uh, outside advisors and um, people who can assist us, you know, I think it's important that, that we constantly evaluate what our, our professional network is um, and who we rely on for our inputs and advice and, and brainstorming and sounding boards. Um, if you don't have sounding boards, I think it's uh, one, never too late to get them, but I think particularly now in these challenging times as a nonprofit that you have uh, and put into place some folks that you can share. And um, if you want to think of it as commiserating, fine. Uh, I think of it more as, you know, being, having an opportunity to, to share ideas with, um, to be able to get inputs and, and either validate or negate the thought process that you're going through. Um, you know, the, the old phrase of two heads are better than one probably applies more so now than it ever did. Uh, in the sense that um, because of the fact that you need to retool, that you need to think differently, that you need to evaluate and constantly look at how not only everything around us in terms of other variables are changing, but you know what you need to be doing for your organization to change it, um, because it will change. Whether you want it to change or not, things are going to change as a result of what we're going through. And so um, if you want to be part of that change and, and help to you know, direct the vision of where that change will go, uh, I think you need to have other people that are part of your team um, that you can look to. Um, and so that can be internally and externally, but I think uh, many times when you're working in your business, you're not making time uh, for other people to be sounding boards for you. So you're not working on your business then if you don't have a team of people that, that you can rely on also. And you're helping us remind people that we are running a tax exempt business. One of our guests years ago 
called it as a contrast. Um, what we do, nonprofit is really a bad word. He said it's it's not a for-profit enterprise; it's a for-purpose enterprise. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that was really really well put. Um, Mark, um, say it again. Do 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 bush. <laughs> The bush. You very told good. Me, tell me, I ask you, uh, you know, I, I have a really good memory, but it's very short. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> so your, um, your five points are, are written out on the website. Um, I put up a page for today's interview on the website. And um, so they, they're, they're written out in length. So if you go to the T-H-E, the nonprofit exchange.org org the nonprofit exchange.org you'll see this week's episode and last week's episode which happened to be Sheikh Rashid who was on here asking questions um, and so um, and then at the bottom of that page that it takes you to there's the archives for previous videos and you'll always find this one here and after uh, a few hours the transcription from today's interview will be there but you'll find um, a little bit about Mark and his work on that page, and you'll find those five warning signs that, um, I, you know, for me, I'm going to print them out and read them every day. <laughs> not to worry, not to worry. I won't obsess over them. I think it's sort of like I encourage um, boards to write their, their guiding principles for how they work together because everybody knows how to run a meeting, but if we got 10 people, we have 11 opinions. Yes. <laughs> Someone is schizophrenic. So we've, we've got different opinions on things. So how do we agree on how we work together? How do we come together and build consensus? And also invite boards to write a, a covenant, I promise. And so if people say, I promise to do something, there's a, there's a buy-in. So um, I would love to be in the, uh, the organization that you lead. Um, you've got so many good things to say to people. I'm going to do a sponsor moment and then come back to you um, for a closing word of wisdom or a challenge or a thought that you want to leave in people's minds. Uh, there's a lot of people that can catch up on and listen to this as a podcast. And you can find this at thenonprofitexchange.org. And there is a place that you can subscribe no matter what your platform or what kind of phone you have, you can subscribe to the podcast by the same name. So our sponsor today is Easy Card. It is easy, two letters, easy. The Easy Card for Center Vision is uh, you send a text to this number, uh, 64600. Hmm. 64600. It used to appear there, it doesn't anymore. And the letters are LDR in the message. So in your texting program, five digits, 64600 is the number. And then in the message, you put LDR and you get this, um, you get this for your phone. You can save it on your screen. And we're looking at the nonprofit exchange today. And um, here, if we click on this, we, we see the interview with Mark and we see ourselves on the video. Um, there's the title of it. And there it is. Your video is coming up and I'm seeing myself on video. So I'm going to stop because that's scary. So, Mark, thank you for sharing these nuggets with us today. Um, what do you want to leave people with, with this after this really great interview? Thank you, first of all, for everybody who attended. And Hugh, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, be able to talk with uh, the audience today and uh, share this information. Uh, I think my closing thought is uh, one of my favorite uh, 
Eastern uh, quotes that uh, a, I had learned when I was at Friends School in Detroit from a headmaster there who was uh, almost mystical at times uh, as, as the head of the school. But uh, his favorite quote that, that he had shared with us and which I've carried with me is, uh, I have drunk from wells I did not dig. I have been warmed by fires I did not build. Uh, and so whatever I've been able to share with you, all of you today, I hope that it benefits you and the many people in the communities that you serve around the world. Thank you. Well, and thank you for being our guest today. We're all richer because of your wisdom. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.